Welcome to another episode of Within Us. My name is Ozzy Jankovic and I am your host. I'm so happy that you're here, whether you are coming back after listening to the show since we began back in September, or whether you're coming on new and just finding the show. It is phenomenal that you're here, and today's episode has so much wisdom inspiration and hope that it is going to inspire you as just as it inspired me I absolutely know it so I hope you had a wonderful week I was traveling this week my husband turned 40 and in honor of his birthday we took the family up to the lake the big lake in the northern part of Israel and I was just blown away day after day at the hidden gems that are there all of the nature we found some really incredible spots for hiking hikes where you would walk down a hill and end up in gorgeous jungle coverage of beautiful beautiful trees all kinds of pomegranates and fig trees and vines and beautiful rock structures and water gorgeous waterfalls I mean the nature was just absolutely stunning and you know it was so incredible to bring kids my kids range in age from three to almost 16 and to bring them along on that no matter how much they were kicking and screaming at the beginning you know not all of them but even just feeling like slight discomfort that they had to hike in heat and it was extremely hot Once they tapped into the beauty of nature and once we got a little bit into it, everyone connected and everyone felt better and enjoyed and it was really, really beautiful to see. I did a lot of new things. I, for the first time, went on a water hike where you actually walk through what looks like kind of like a river or a swamp um, as a hike and it was something actually that I couldn't have done for many years of my life because I lived with chronic pain on and off in one of my feet for many years and so I had to be really careful not to walk on uneven ground but what's so amazing is that since I started my wellness journey a few years ago and really started making some meaningful changes in my lifestyle the pain is gone quite often I don't even notice it And it was so incredible for the first time ever in my life to go on this water hike and be stepping on rocks. And it was really neat. I wore water shoes and every time you pick up your feet, you're not quite sure like the size of the rock that you're about to put it down on or what the ground is going to be like. So there's this sort of meditative process of slowly picking up your foot and feeling the ground beneath and then intentionally placing it where it needs to go and relaxing into that you just sort of start hiking and and noticing these incredible reflections on the water and the shadows and the way that the light dances off of the plants and the water and the whole thing was just really incredible and it got me thinking about how you know that for me was something really really new to do this water hike and so often when we're doing something new we experience a certain sense of discomfort you know there can be an excitement but when we're really learning when we're really creating these new neural connections 
it can be difficult and it can be uncomfortable. However, if we can be aware of that, and when we're aware that there's learning going on and that our brains are growing and we're expanding our capacities, we can in a certain way embrace that discomfort. To me, that's really a metaphor for what's going on in the world right now and how we can best handle it. You know, so often people come to me, all sorts of women that I work with who are my coaching clients and who are in my groups and people that I know on a, uh, on, in daily life, my friends. And so often I've just been hearing this, this repeated issue of like, I just don't know what's going on. I just don't feel fully myself right now. And I even heard from someone last week who, you know, she shared with me that she was going through a really hard time and she attributed it to her mental illness, as she calls it. And, you know, I want to really reiterate that no matter what you're dealing with or what your situation is, whether you're dealing with like a pre-diagnosed, I don't know, some sort of clinical like anxiety or depression or bipolar or if not, if you have never thought about those issues, dealt with those issues, but you're just not feeling totally yourself, I really believe that right now, in a lot of ways, we're all in the same boat, that we've never been globally, we've never been collectively in a state like the one that we're in. And I very much believe that it is going to be a part of our evolution. It's going to be a part of our collective awakening. And it is ultimately going to evolve us but the process is not has not up until this point been painless or pretty for 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 most people for many people and you know i think it's critical that we acknowledge we're in the middle of a crisis no matter what whether you are directly affected or you are related to someone who's been directly affected or you're just hearing about it. I think we're all affected in the sense that it's on our consciousness. We're thinking about it. If it's not that we're dealing with a crisis, we're dealing with awkwardness. Just how do we live our daily lives and operate around people and with people with all of these new restrictions and different ways of relating to the different rules and regulations that people have and all the controversies. We need to we need to acknowledge that. And I think we collectively need to just take a deep breath and really recognize that beneath the controversy and beneath the awkwardness and the difficulty there's a lot of fear there's fear going on here and the fear is very real and I think no matter what you know no matter what like what are we going to do with this maybe it's challenging for us and and maybe not I think for some people, this is really helping them tap into their natural element, whether it's being home more or uh, having less time out and about socializing. You know, this can be different things to different people. But I think no matter what, if you're struggling with something and you want to struggle a little bit less, I think one really practical thing you can do is bring some self-compassion to your experience. What do I mean by that? There's a classic example given in the research on education about how successful people deal with setbacks and quote-unquote failures. And there's, there's this example given of a student, a college student, who takes an exam. And the next day, the student gets back the results and 
immediately blames herself and says, oh, I didn't do so well because, because of my intelligence level or because of my disability or because of my inefficiency or anything that is a permanent attribute of herself, something about her person, something internal and permanent. So those students actually end up doing less well in the long run than the other students who make these external temporary attributions, which are the ones where this same student would say something like, I didn't do so well on the test because, hmm, let me think, well, I didn't set aside time when I could have because I went to the basketball game and the soccer game instead. So this is still taking personal responsibility, but it's looking at external circumstances saying, okay, so next time I could set the time aside to study rather than going to those games. It's a very simple hack. And, you know, the bottom line is anytime we're making these internal and permanent attributions, we're blaming ourselves for who we are, we're not going to change. We're not going to grow because that is a fixed mindset. But when we shift into the growth mindset and when we look at our lives more holistically and we say, okay, why wasn't I so productive last week? Well, I'm in the middle of a global crisis and I'm dealing with certain fears and certain logistics even in my day-to-day life. You know, it takes me twice as long to go grocery shopping or, you know, whatever it is bringing in some understanding to the table about our lives and how our lives look different on a daily basis, whether it's our daily activities looking different from hour to hour or what's going on internally looking different, the the, the thoughts that we notice coming up or even the bodily sensations or the emotional states that we're in. And if we can look around at our experiences and bring some insight to what you're going through, I think a lot can happen. So I would say, you know, to do this on your own, you could bring to mind whatever thought it is that you're having. And I know for a lot of people who come to me, they say like certain people are confronted with their family members and feeling like they have to like fix their children or work on things or they want things to improve or they want things to be different. And by looking around at what's wrong and what's missing, they feel a certain sense of insufficiency. And I would say, okay, if you're waking up to the fact that you want to see growth and you want to see change and you want to see transformation in your family, give yourself some credit that you are are seeing that because it means that you want more and that you're on the brink of growth and change. So that's number one. And then number two is just looking at the circumstances that might be creating those difficult situations and Rather than making it about a person, like, oh, there's something wrong with my daughter. No, my daughter's dealing with the, um, you know, the disappointment of not having the birthday party that she always wanted, or she's dealing with uh, missing out on the social experience that she would have gotten in camp, or whatever it is, just to bring some understanding. And when we do that, you know, a lot of people believe that when we bring understanding, we bring compassion to our circumstances, it'll, you know, heaven forfend make them lose motivation but the opposite is true when we can understand the circumstances and what's going on we can be more clear about what it is that we need what adjustments we need to make in our lives and how we can move forward so i know i've been going through a lot of that lately with all the changes in the world and and trying to figure out you know what 
what I want my week, my days, my moments to look like um, one at a time. And one thing for me was just being more present with my family. And I took the whole week this week just to be there with my husband and the kids and do everything they wanted to do. And it was action packed. And that's not necessarily like the vacation I would have planned for myself, but it was my husband's birthday and I just wanted to be present for him. And I did it. And another thing I did, you know, I started noticing myself feeling really attached to my my phone, my smartphone. And I know I'm not alone. I know this is a widespread issue. And that being said, I didn't want to be wasting time. I really didn't want to be... You know, it was taking more away from me than it was adding. And so I did take Facebook off of my phone and I resolved only to use it at the computer, which for me is just so much more productive. I didn't really have any good reason why I should be, you know, posting on Facebook or reading Facebook when I'm with my family. So I took a 21 day challenge upon myself. And what was really interesting is that the day we left for the trip last Sunday, We were driving up to the north to the lake and I listened to a whole long podcast with Dr. Huberman out of Stanford talking about the importance of natural light and how when we wake up in the morning, if we can go outside for 10 to 15 minutes and get natural light, it'll stimulate melatonin production in the brain later on in the day, 16 hours later. And so rather than just going straight for that cell phone and looking at a screen, getting out and getting some natural light for that short amount of time can be really beneficial. Also later in the day, getting some of that natural light right around sunset time has a really detoxifying effect on the brain as well. And it was just neat to hear him speak about his research and so much of how the eyes actually so he studies the eyes and the way that our eyes are apparently an extension of our brains and by modulating what we look at we're actually modulating our brains we're we're helping our brains to positively adapt to our lives and to feel how we want to feel and so you know there's a lot to say on that topic and i think we could go further but but the bottom line is let's put beautiful things in front of our eyes let's give our eyes some nature and remember that We are a part of nature. We really are a part of nature. And whether that means gardening or having some indoor plants or getting outside a little bit, you know, if you have a balcony or a yard, or even if you can just take a walk around the block, honestly, these small biohacks and small changes can bring such phenomenal, phenomenal results. So I am here if you need assistance and help with this. You know, this is something I do for my coaching clients. I've been working one-on-one with some really special women who are growing and transforming and I feel so blessed to be able to do the work that I do. So if that's something that interests you, you can hop on over to my website and uh, and sign up, make an appointment, get on the waiting list and I would love to meet you and work with you and help you achieve your goals. Until then, it is my absolute joy and pleasure to introduce you to my guest, Cordelia Gaffar. And Cordelia is a life coach, a vitality coach. She runs some incredible programs. And she and I had the opportunity to speak not only on the podcast, but for a, a, a nice long talk before we ever recorded. And I really appreciated meeting her so much. I found her to be so lovely and so 
calming. She really brought so much calm to me as we were speaking and I absolutely adore her and I know you're going to adore her too. You know, we really hit it off and we speak we spoke about possibly even doing some programming together in the coming months and year. So stay tuned for that. And until then, it is my joy to introduce you to Cordelia. You know, I'm just a mom, really. And I want to make sure that I'm in a good enough place that I can raise my kids to be positive contributions to society. So I didn't want to be a monster mom. That's really where it all started. And I found out by, you know, just slowing down my life moment by moment and really benefiting from those scream sessions in the bathroom and doing something productive, you know, like literally I would not like I would go every time I go to the bathroom, I'm pulling out my hair, but you know what I mean? It's just like, while I'm here, what are some of the things that are overwhelming me today? Well, one, I can't believe my bathroom is trash. Okay, I'm going to take two minutes and I'm going to clean a corner. And then after I wash my hands, I'm going to make sure that that side of the sink is in perfect order. And the next time I'll get to the other side instead of just like camping out in the bathroom and making it spick and span right on the spot, you know? And then I found out that that felt good. Interesting. So, so to back up even further, you have a big family. You're not just a mom. You're a mom. You have a big family. So, so tell us a little bit about, about that and, and this idea that you bring up about this, this monster mom. So how did that present itself to you when you first noticed it? Okay. Yeah. So now I have six kids, but at the time... I had a four-year-old, a toddler, and a newborn, and I had just decided to stay home, you know, give up my corporate career. My, the last job I had was as a controller for a startup in, in Northern Virginia, and I was like, man, who knew it was going to be that hard to stay home? And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, the monster mom piece was like, have you ever stepped on a Lego? Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and it hurts. Like, <laughs> it really hurts. Yeah. So that's where it began. And like the I screamed one time and, and my kids were like, oh, and I and I was just feeling like I'm such a bad mom right now. I've freaked out my kids, you know? And obviously, you know, that's not what was the case. They you know, eventually they laughed, but they were just like never heard me make so much noise. And I wanted to not be frustrated with stepping on a Lego every now and again. And so another thing that I, I chose to do is lay on the ground and see what's it, what is it that they see, like the world literally from their perspective. So when I laid on the floor with them and saw what like most adults would see as a mess, I saw like their little world, like they had created you know, <laughs> like houses and, you know, like play pens and stuff. And I mean, but like on the surface of it, as you're trying to get to the kitchen to put lunch together, it hurts because you're just stepping on a Lego. But when you lay on the floor with them and you roll around a little bit, it's like, ooh, this is fun. I get it. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Could you just move that a little bit to the left? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a dance. It's such a dance trying to make everything work and move forward. And yet this moment where I can see you sitting down on the floor and looking at it from their perspective, which is so different. Yeah. Yeah. And here you are today, years later, and you are coaching other women. You are coaching female leaders. And I know you speak a lot about self-care as well as the idea of how we handle difficult emotions. Can you speak a little bit about some of those things? Yeah. So these days, the difficult emotions that we're dealing with, right, are oh my God, I'm a racist, or oh my God, I'm allowing people to step on me like I'm a doormat. I can't believe I've done this all these years, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So that's like on the one side for the women of color, they're just like, why didn't I stand up for my rights all this time, right? And then the white women are just like, I didn't even know that I wasn't being a good friend to my best friend who happens to be a woman of color. And that's hard to deal with right? It's hard to see yourself. So what I'm telling people these days is we don't have time to be angry with ourselves or anybody else. It happened already. <laughs> okay. So now we choose to love ourselves, right? So you start with the compassion towards yourself. Well, maybe we start with the forgiveness towards ourselves. Okay. I wasn't playing doormat. Okay. I wasn't, you know, being racist. I was being ignorant in everybody, in all cases, right? I was, I, I was doing the best that I could do with the knowledge I, I had, have, right? <laughs> right. The knowledge I didn't have. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. It's a lot, it's a lot to talk about, a lot to process. And this idea of anger is you know anger can be so purposeful it can be intelligent in certain ways and yet when we're throwing our anger you know i've, I've been noticing recently i've been so hesitant to insert myself into this conversation as much as i actually wrote a, my doctoral dissertation on white teachers in socioeconomically disadvantaged black schools and my dissertation chair is a black man, Dr. Alan Green, and he really felt strongly that this should be the work that I, that you know that I that I focused on. And so I went I went into these schools and I learned and I did the work and I was confronted with my white privilege and all these things. Then, and I I can see right now how being confronted with the anger of another is not helpful. It, it doesn't, I don't see where that's helpful at all. So I really appreciate your message so much. I don't know yeah. what anger does. And, 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 and so I wonder, you know, how is it that we can have these conversations and open up the greater conversation in a way that is going to move us forward? I know you speak a lot about this collective awakening and enlightenment, and I'm very much on this page with you. And I think that this could be a, a good place for us to, to touch on is this, you know, how do we move forward into this new era together? Yeah, so it begins with listening, you know, 
a lot of times when like in any relationship even the kids you know even the the town halls that that are happening even the what do we do now it has to start with listening right so let's listen and find out what wasn't working and and then let's decide what has been working and then together we agree on what you know what should we try to go forward with and really we have to take it slow right because you can only do one thing at a time it's like if 10 things weren't working seven things were working you can't take all seven and just run with that you got to take one right and try that maybe for seven weeks or seven days or whatever and see how that goes and then you can add something to it we can only do one thing at a time yeah it makes so much sense so tell me a little bit about what's happening in your community in america i'm over here in israel and I do read some headlines and I try to stay up with different thinkers and uh, leaders who are involved, but I'm so curious to hear, here you are, you're on the ground and you're a black woman living in America. What's your experience been like recently? So I, you know, I live in the suburbs of the suburbs of DC and we are all kind of dissenters out here. We don't want to live in the fray, so we play nice. So I haven't really had any personal issues. However, I am part of like co-working um, spaces which are closer to DC. And I've been part of some of those town halls. I was even in a conversation this week about I can't remember the topic or the title, but it's like something about taboo topics, right? And so some of those conversations have been for the co-working space, like I didn't even know that, I guess it was a stop and listen, first of all, to give you some you know, understanding of what the conversation was. So we were all in Zoom. It was maybe about up to 40 of us that are members of a co-working space and the five black members of that co-working space were the panelists and we each had 10 minutes to share our experience and so all the people like i said we we already want to listen and help each other out but some of the people were like wow i didn't even know those things happen you know when you go to the grocery store or you know when you park your car or stuff like that and just to give you some an example, so me and one of the women, she's white and she's a massage therapist. We wrote an article together last year about massage and misconceptions. It was really surrounding mostly modesty and Muslims, right? So that was exactly June 11th, 2019 wow. that that article came out. So she was part of that town hall or that stop and listen. And she was like, I thought that I was enlightened and I thought that because I was going through the research to find out what it is that other cultures, you know, their practices surrounding self-care and stuff like that, I thought that I was, you know, enlightened, but I had no idea, you know, 
some of the things that I mentioned about my experience in that same period of time, you know, when I was going to the grocery store and my little son like knocked over a display, but a, a little white girl had done the same thing a couple of aisles over and everyone was helping that mom. Nobody helped me. And they, in fact, I even got comments and she was like, you know what? I probably would have been one of the people that would have ma been making comments, you know? And she didn't even recognize that about herself. You see what I mean? So it's like those, what I call it is microaggressions against ourselves. They, this is how they play out when, you, when you're dealing with other people. You know, all... So talk to me a little bit about what that means. So here you are in the grocery store, you're with your son, and there is a parallel experience happening three aisles away with a woman who is white and her daughter and they receive help. And, and so how does that, what is that experience like in your mind? And, and talk to us a little bit about how that's a microaggression against oneself. So in my mind, like it probably had happened before, but I never noticed it until that day because, you know, the little girl was, to be fair, she was quite cute, right? And she, you know how like the little three-year-olds, they just twirl around and boop, and like half the, you know, thing just goes oh, down. Yeah, I have a three-year-old, I know. <laughs> and so people were, and, and the lady, just like me, had a baby in her ba in a baby carrier. And she was just like, you know, people were like, oh, you know, that's okay, don't worry. And, and she was so embarrassed. Like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, she did it again and da 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 And I, I just, you know smiled and I passed, you know, and went on to my aisle. And then lo and behold, three aisles later, here I am. And my little brown son twirling around and knocks over half a display, except for, right? There's like people watching me and they're like, my God, she should train that boy better. I can't believe those people do those kind of things, you know, let their kids do those kind of things. And so then my son's feeling like some kind of way, right? Because he's like, and I said, it's okay, baby, just leave it. There are people here that do that kind of, you know, that pick up that stuff. And so I just left it, you know? I wasn't getting any sympathy from any onlookers and they almost blocked us leaving the aisle. And so in that moment, I had a choice. I could mama bear, right? <laughs> or I could do what I did. And I just smiled and waved. And I was like, hi, excuse us. And I pushed my cart and went on and left the aisle. So how that, you know, choosing to rightfully so, right? Cuss them out or stand up for my son or whatever I could have done differently in that moment is not productive because that gets my blood pressure up. I have a baby on my body and that's going to change her disposition. Now she's going to be frantic and screaming and scared because I'm yelling in her ear. That's not helping me at all. Cause now I, you know, on top of me being angry, I got a crazy, you know, a, a baby that's just like, and then my son's already beside himself. My four-year-old wasn't paying attention, you know, <laughs> And I had to get her back online. I got to get home and cook, you know? So it's, that would be going against me more than anybody else. 
it's so much easier to just say, you know, nothing, smile at the people that are miserable. And if they come back to their human self, they'll smile back. And if not, that's their problem. It's not my problem. A hundred percent. It's so interesting how our anger can literally be the opposite by way of helping us to get with what we get, helping us to get what we need. And you knew, and you knew. So I'm curious to hear from you. How did you know? Where did you come to this? How did you learn to respond peacefully, calmly? Where is this coming from? My mom. (laughs) You know, because my mom, she always told us, when you get angry, someone else is controlling you. You don't ever want to be somebody's puppet. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. So that helps me to slow down and figure out what do I care about in this moment? Not what somebody else's perception of me, because right now those people, you know, are projecting. I don't have to accept that because if I, if I do, and I take on their energy, I just became a puppet. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. So essentially, as you were sharing this story on the panel and some of your colleagues are hearing for the first time what it is like to be Black in America, they were experiencing a certain sense of surprise. Yeah. What else was surprising in this conversation or what else has been surprising that you've been hearing lately? Yeah, you know. Oh, so I got a couple of, it was a stop and listen. So they, to be fair, they weren't able to really talk. You could just really see their faces and some of the comments, but some people reached out to me directly, you know, afterwards. And they were just like, I just had no idea. I was really surprised. Some of the things that have, that came up in that conversation also were within the black community. We have our own little caste system, right? So there is a such a thing like in the South where, they used to have this brown paper bag and one of the panelists shared this. They said, so if you're darker than the brown paper bag, then, you know, you don't, you don't even get a chance. But if you're at least the same color as the brown paper bag, then we'll allow you in the room. And then if you're lighter than the brown paper bag, then you pretty much have almost complete access, right? So that's what white people used, but within the black community, it was if you're brown, stick around, black, stay back, white. If you're bright, you're right, right? So this is all completely new. This is completely new to me. Yeah. And that came up too. I'm not totally understanding where this, where does this paradigm present itself and how is it used? This is how black people are, mic- are microaggressing against each other. They don't help each other sometimes because um, the browner you are, it's perceived that the dumber you are or the more likely you are to cause problems. The lighter you are, you've probably had more access to education because historically light-skinned blacks are light-skinned because they have a white father, right? Or a white mother, which gave them 
access to certain privileges. So that would make them more, you know, they'd have more etiquette, more education, those kind of things. Wow. And so is this something that's explicitly spoken about? Nope. This is all a silent part of culture, internal culture. Internal culture and to some extent like external, at least in the South, you know, the way blacks and whites get along, you know, like if you, if you go for a job and like I'm, I'm brown, right? But if there's a girl who's your complexion, which there are black people your complexion, and she's going for the same job, you know, it's almost like, oh, she's probably going to get the job. Mm. And if I get the job, it's like, wow, you know? You know, it's interesting because I, I can, I hear that, you know, I, I know so often that there are just certain parts of our identities that you know, we can't, we can't turn them on or off. And, you know, growing up Jewish in America, I remember when I was first exposed to this idea of white privilege, I, I was kicking and screaming because I know my family history and I know what they've been through and I know how they came to the country with nothing. And they were pursued by, you know, I mean, every imaginable enemy. And so when I was initially confronted with that idea, I was like, I'm really not white. You know, I'm really not white. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't feel white. I know what my heritage is. But at the same time, my eyes were open to the fact that it doesn't matter how I feel. It matters how I look to other people. Yeah. And so I had these memories of, you know, being pulled over by the police for speeding and then them letting me off. Or when my daughter spilled a bottle of wine in the store and you know, they clean it up with a smile or certain things that we go through in our daily lives that we don't even recognize or realize are because of the way that we are perceived. And so I feel like there's just so much value to what you're saying, so much value to simply listening to one another. And, and what's been going on, you know, for, for so many years, do you see the conversations that are happening right now as progress? Hmm. For the, you know, the communities that I'm in, because, you know, I'm even in a global community called Humans First. We're not in that one together, are we? No, we're not. I, yeah, I don't know about it. Oh, you don't know about it. Okay. So that is an intentional community that was created about a year ago as well. And their whole focus is to literally get us to see each other by the content of our character, not by our outer mm -hmm. dressings, you know, and to encourage more diversity and inclusion at organizational levels, you know. So there's a lot of like HR consultants and in some cases CEOs and stuff in that, in that particular organization that I'm part of. So, you know, that those conversations are productive. They're, the, I guess the conversations I'm part of for the most part are productive because we're all about changing the laws because the thing about laws is there's the loophole. Like what's her name? Ava DuBernay. She made the documentary. I haven't seen it, but it's called the 13th Amendment. And this was a conversation. Is it the 13th? The one that's on Netflix? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I, I watched that. And then it Did was you? based on one of the main speakers in the documentary was wrote the new Jim Crow, mm-hmm. which is just chilling. Yeah. And we don't, we don't realize it. Right. I think, I think one of the, you know, they, when they speak about the law, they talk about how 93%, I believe it's like 93% of black defendants accept a plea bargain. And the majority of those defendants did not commit a crime that they were accused of. Yeah. Because they cannot afford proper representation. Yeah. And that's just something you don't hear about every day. You know, I remember Cordelia, the first time I walked into a juvenile hall and I've never felt so white. And I just stood there wondering, I had come to volunteer to teach writing and I just stood there wondering, it cannot be possible that these kids are so different than the kids on the other side of town. What's happening here? Yeah. And, and, and you peel back the, 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 the layers a little bit and you find out they, these aren't bad kids. No. So talk to me a little bit about, about the law and what you see behind the scenes, how you see that playing out by way so, of being a person of color. Yeah, like I said, I, I haven't seen the documentary, but this was a conversation I had with my husband who's an immigrant, right? And uh, on the surface of it, when you read the 13th Amendment, it gives Black people the right, you know, to freedom, right? However, the second part of it says, unless they have been convicted of a crime, in which case they, in, they're in prison, they lose their citizenship. Okay? So it's that part. So the new Jim Crow right? Uh, Michelle Alexander, she writes extensively about this, and that's like pretty much her whole life's work, is about these, you know, the prison system, I think, in the early 90s went from public to privatized, right? So this is like one of the, it's like the new plantations, right? It's, it's, the, it's a, a main source of income for a lot of corporations and people don't even know about it, and it's legal. And so basically, when you get into the prison system, right, you can't get a job, or it's more difficult to get a job, and, and the, the, it's these really tiny offenses. So like most white people, like I've even gone to high school with, college with, they, they snort coke, right, or they have, right? But those kids have really rich fathers who own law firms. So they're not going to get picked up for having a gram of cocaine, but they will pick up a black kid for having, you know, maybe a joint. They'll go to to prison and be given some unreasonable sentence for a joint. And even on the chemical level, the things that cocaine will do to you compared to what you know, pot will do to you, you know, it's just like, right. So, right. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, we could talk so much about this and you, if you do a split screen and you, you're looking at the, the predominantly white 
teens growing up in the suburbs of the suburbs and they're snorting cocaine and meanwhile they're living in neighborhoods where they have a, a, an acre between their home and their neighbors yeah. and you know they have a security guard driving around the neighborhood making sure everyone's quiet enough after certain hours and that there are no intruders split screen other side you go into the urban neighborhood and you have people living on top of each other oftentimes multiple families in one unit you have no green spaces and you have a very difficult time finding a job because of the local economic situation you might have to leave to find work it might be difficult to find transportation or inconvenient it's and the the drug supply is different and so instead of the expensive cocaine you're getting crack which is very similar chemically and yet the penalty for, for, for having crack versus having cocaine is multiples, multiples. And, and then you have police everywhere. So, you know, I, I stopped wondering when you, when you go in these neighborhoods and you see just like, you know, getting down on the floor with your children and like, you know, checking out what it's like from someone else's perspective. Let's visit one neighborhood. Let's visit another neighborhood. Let's live a day in the life. It makes perfect sense. And I get so fired up when I think about it because it just feels so unfair. Yeah. That, and that's, that's the reality. And so that, those are the conversations that need to be had. How do we change those laws? How do we change the penalty for getting picked up for, you know, crack cocaine versus cocaine? right? And, you know, making more things available to people who are living on top of each other. I mean, instead of having a liquor store on every corner, how about, you know, a, and, the, you know, to be fair, this is happening in some places. I forgot his name. There's a guy in Detroit who does this. There's a guy, I think, in either Brooklyn or Bronx who does this, and they have community um, gardens, right? Oh, I love, I love that. I just saw Dr. Mark Hyman posted mm -hmm. on Instagram, all of these different communities that are really making incredible community efforts to up the access to health, healthy foods in, in different urban deserts, as they yes. call them, right? Urban deserts. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm. And that is a whole different world perspective because if you knock down that liquor store and you put a garden there, like a community garden where you're teaching the kids how to grow their own healthy food, that does so many things. I'm going to start with the stuff that we don't think about. Touching the soil itself will give them minerals that they don't have access to in their diet right now, magnesium and calcium. And they're going to get that just by touching the nice organic soil. They're going to wow. learn, right? And I mean, that's like part of the problem. We have, we have a vitamin deficiency. We have mineral deficiencies, right? And you can cure that just by touching the earth. And then this, the next part is now they're learning how to, right? You can go to the grocery store so you can give a man a fish or you can teach him to fish. So they're learning how to fish, right? So they're learning about the benefits of the food, how to grow the food, and then they're going to want to eat it 
right? You have kids because, so you know how it is because sometimes I don't want to eat that, right? But when they have a part in making that meal, it's like, oh my God, this is so delicious. And it could be the same thing you've been trying to get them to eat forever, right? But it's yeah. so much, <laughs> it's so much better when it's them who did it. So That's so true. It's so true. So how, how are these communities, how are communities shifting and, and, and what are the conversations that need to happen, right, to help us collectively? I mean, ultimately, if, if anyone is suffering, we're all suffering. I think it's so important. I think it's so important that we follow the legislation and follow the money, like you say. And, and when we talk about the issues with, you know, the systems and the prisons and so forth, it's, I think it's just so important to take all of these factors into consideration. So let's talk about some of the projects that you're working on right now. <laughs> right. So I recognize, you know, I want to help people to, on their self-awareness journey, right? And so some of the things that I've been doing since COVID started are just like monthly events where we can let stuff go and and then also replace it i call it restructuring with better habits so this month my event is going to be release your past forever and be your higher self and mm. this is like more for people who they they want to do something different they just don't know where to begin and they feel like there's this weight just holding them down in chains and just allow yourself to release what's expected and accept it. Cause no matter what you look like on the outside, that's the battle going on on the inside for all of us. Right. No matter what you look like on the outside, we all have the same battle going on on the inside. I love this. So can you share an example, something that, that comes up that you see coming up for people specifically? Specifically, we have all these records, like they're the negative self-talk. We, half the time, once I start really working with someone, they find out like most of the stuff they repeat to themselves is not something that originated from themselves. It was something a teacher, um, a mother, father, grandmother, you know, spiritual leader told them and that's been driving their traffic for the past couple of decades mm, frightening so letting go it is frightening <laughs> it's frightening i i i know i mean i i've i've been doing this work myself and i've become you know i i think so much of what you talk about speaks to me because i'm in a similar space and it's so real and it becomes imaginary at a certain point I mean, you know, the, the, the voices that, that were put upon us to protect us or for our, our quote unquote safety become these mechanisms that hold us back from shining our light. Yeah. And that's and a so, human problem. <laughs> and that's a human problem. We all have this problem. It's, it's, it's how comforting to know that we all have this problem. Yeah. It's so comforting. I mean, I feel like especially 
as women, how important it is, and I know you work with female leaders, to let go. So what is this letting go for someone who's never come across, you know, these processes or ideas, what does letting go look like to you, Cordelia? Well, I mean, for one thing, I have people try and just dissect which one of these are their own values, not the values of their family or their culture or their, you know, society, but like, what is it that you value? If, if you, you know, were just to be assy, right? And so for you, even though you grew up in a Jewish family, right, you felt like you weren't having the spirituality and the, you know, the real experience that you had a taste of when you got to visit Israel, right? Mm. So you decided when I grow up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that real Jewish woman and, make, and have that connection with God, right? I'm going to do it. So this is the process of release and letting go, right? What is it that, you know, for people that are listening, what, what is it that you've always wanted to do, but you've been shamed for it or guilted for it and you just never could do it? So that's, I think that one's worth a pause. What is it that you've always wanted to do that you haven't been able to do because you've been shamed for it or guilted for it? Yeah. And, and, and how do you recognize what those things are? What do you see coming up for your clients and the, the, the people in your community? What are some of the things that people have wanted to do and they've just never done it because of the shame and the guilt? <laughs> okay, let me think of something really generic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you my example. I okay. think you know this is you're going to laugh at this. Also, I remember a few years ago when I first started sharing some of my writing and some of my ideas, I really been keeping them to myself thinking that I could just kind of do that because it didn't matter if I shared them or not. They were my ideas and I had this whole scenario that I'd come up with. And I remember sharing, sharing a story with my writing coach. We were walking in, in the park in Jerusalem one day and in the Rose Garden near the Knesset. And, and I told her a story that had happened to me that I was going to put in, insert into my book. And she said, not only do you have to put that into your book, you have to go on Facebook Live right now and you have to tell the story. And I just froze. Yep. And she looked at me and she said, okay, tell me right now what's happening in your head? What are you hearing? Where are these, what are these voices? Where are they coming from? And I was able to identify whose voices they were, what they were saying to me. I heard them out. And then I spoke. And I was able to recognize that I, I really wanted to do some, something that was aligned with my values, like you're saying, and that I was just letting fear hold me back. And that was it. And that was the end. And, and then I was able to, you know, speak my mind, which now it's only, a, you know, a, a year and a bit later. And I feel like it's so powerful. I can't believe that I was quiet for so long. 
I can't believe it. I mean, every day now, I'm sure you can identify with this. I get messages from people. Thank you so much for talking about this, this, or that. And I'm just talking. I'm just being who I am. I'm just, I'm just sharing and being real. And that in itself was so scary to me. Yeah. Yeah, because we, there's a certain way we have to be as women, right? There's a, that extra layer. And, uh, you know, you can look to the left, but you really have to stay on the right side. And, you know, it's better to walk in the middle. And if you're going to walk in the middle, walk on the dotted line, not on the, you know, the straight line, right? It's just like this serious tiptoe and dance that has to happen. So, you know, I, I've got the, I, the beautiful thing is the women that come to me, they have either come from, you know, a really religious background, meaning like church or, you know, really Catholic or Muslim or something like this, but they come from these really extreme situations and they just want to be in the middle. They just want to be who they are without all the layers because they know that God doesn't make it that hard. It's, it's not that hard just to be you, you know, and they know that and they're sick and tired of being, what do you call it, worried about what other people think. Yeah, so. So that there's a lot to unpack here. I think the first part of what you said about being a woman and having to abide by these unspoken rules, stay in the lines, you gave a great metaphor, and I'm just curious if you could unpack that a little bit. What does that mean on the ground? What, what kind of pressure do you feel like you're seeing women experience? So, you know, if I, if I think specifically of, I can think of a couple of stories. So there was a woman who she came from like a more religious background and she was like the preacher's daughter, right? So she had to behave a certain way all the time and, and be around a lot of adults and, you know, be the good girl. So she was always the good girl. And as the preacher's daughter at these, you know, different events or gatherings that they had in their house, she had to, you know, you know, give food. And these were all like pastors and whatever. And this, this is not unusual, you know, but she was experiencing microaggressions like, oh, you know, comments about her hair, comments about her dress. Shouldn't her dress be a little bit longer, you know? And you know what I mean? It's just like comments about her demeanor, her dress from the community. From her yeah, family? just no, just the people in the room. Yeah, community, I guess, in this case. So, okay. as she's, if you can imagine, you're a little kid, you're about eight years old, right? And you're just passing out the cookies, right? And it's like, oh, you know, you'd have, of course, the most of the people, oh, you know, so and so is so sweet. And she, look at that. Did you make these cookies, honey? Right? And, you know, Oh yeah, she made those cookies. She didn't get to answer herself. The mom is now chiming in. Yeah, she made those cookies. And you know, she got up early this morning and this, that, and the other. She's not talking. She's being spoken for. Mm. The good girl. 
smile, quiet, you know, have the right length dress, have the right ponytails or whatever. And, and that's just like, but what she took away from that was like, it's almost the equivalent of being on stage and performing, you know? Mm -hmm. So she always has to be on, right? You have to be on because you're the pastor's daughter. You're the, you know, and you want the mom to appear to be a certain type of mom, right? So it's like year after year, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, because then there's Bible studies too, right? And it's like just having to be on is a lot of pressure. So by the time she grew up, she had a digestive problem because where does our fear and anger live in our stomach? And so, and the negative self-talk, you know, and the people-pleasing, those you know, were the things that were layering up over the decades. And so, you know, finally, she was just one day like, I'm doing this at work. I'm doing this in my marriage. I'm doing this in my friendships. I'm doing this at the church I'm at now, and I'm not even going to my parents' church anymore. I just want to be free. I just want to be me. I know that when I pray and I talk to God, it's not this hard. But when I get around people, it just becomes like breaking out into sweat, not sleeping at night and running over in her mind. How did she, you know, perform today? Yeah. Where do you go with that? It's so much. Yeah. So much. So in this work that you do, you, are you, you're coaching one-on-one, you are working with groups. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what it, what it is that you do, where our listeners can find you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I enjoy coaching one-on-one because I find that women are more open to de-layering in that setting. And I also, you know, coaching groups, my groups tend to be small. I intentionally like them small because I guess like three to five, yeah, three to five women are usually in a group and they'll talk about their stuff. And it's good to know that they're not alone. And it's like, you know, they may be coming from whatever religious background or no religious background, but just to know that there's somebody out there that's been living their life. It's like, whew, what a load off, you know? And so that's good. But I find that that works, that kind of group works more, works better for people who maybe they've already been on a personal development journey or, you know, they're to a certain level of self-awareness or they tend to be extroverts. I, I have started having events specifically for sensitive souls and that's just kind of people that I'm pulling out of the woodwork, right? And these are people that would identify as empaths. Or if you don't even know what that means, are you someone who like walks into a room or even you walk down the street and you're feeling everybody's emotions that you walk past? Like right now, you're one of those people that 
doesn't even want to go to the grocery store. You're all about the online shopping and having it delivered. Oh, I'm here. Hurry up. <laughs> you just can't take it. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So people who are really tuned into the energies around them. Yeah. So I've collaborated, I'm collaborating with my friend Ulis and we did an event last month, but we decided, you know, the women that showed up for that, they were so impacted that we would put together a training, but it's so deep that we're just going to meet once a month for a couple of hours because you need a month to unpack what just happened. It's like, oh yeah, you know, so the implementation and the living of life, right? It's, it's not like you can just, let's meet every week because like in your nice little six week or eight week program, life doesn't show up like that. It just happens when it does, you know? So we're, we're going to, I think the first one is June 26 and then, you know, July and then August, we're going to meet for a couple of hours and just give you some tools to a sanctuary and some tools to, to strengthen yourself so that you know, you can go to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> you, you can just like function like normal and, and not have, you know, whatever it's not, it doesn't always show up as anxiety, you know, it doesn't always show up as borderline alcohol, alcoholism, you know, sometimes it shows up as, you know, oh, wow, she's the top performer, you know, let's give her more stuff to do because she rocks, right? And she's the top performer that, you know, is about to kill over because, you know, she does this because she likes to stay robotic. So, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, I feel like this conversation could go on. There's so much to talk about, but maybe we'll stop for now for this episode. And thank you. I really appreciate your being here. I really feel like you bring such a unique perspective and really a breath of fresh air. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having this conversation. And I don't, I'm, I'm so happy that we met. I, I always enjoy talking to you. So thank you. Likewise, likewise. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to record for a second again. I feel like that's the beauty. That is the beauty of bringing people together around these issues. Yeah. It, you know, that's why collaboration matters, you know, and when you collaborate, it's really important not to collaborate with someone who looks like you, but someone who is like you, like inside, you know, the heart connection matters because you can bring together a lot more of the world, you know? So my events, you know, I'll have like a, a white British, Bengali British, you know, African-American, Muslim-American, like African from Africa. And, and my co-facilitator is white from Sweden, you know, and that, that's the beautiful thing, you know, because we really see that we're the same inside and we forget, like, it's, we, we just don't see what we look on the outside at all, you know. I, yeah, I think it's so important. And, and, you know, I think it's so important to have friends of all, all backgrounds. And, you know, when, we, when we're exposed to, for example, the news 
and we're exposed to different messages that we could even we could even go so far as to call some of them propaganda yep where we see groups of people doing things a certain way i know right now especially with the news being at an all-time high by by way of consumption with corona and now the racial issues that are coming up and and protests and everything else that's happening I think it's so easy to see a big group of people doing one thing and then come to the conclusion that all people like that must be doing that thing. Yeah. And it's just not the case. And I think that when we have friends of, of different backgrounds, you know, I live here in Israel and last year for the first time since we moved in 2015, we heard missiles and I woke up at six in the morning and I heard a missile right outside my house and it was intercepted by our defense system. But I knew when I heard the airplanes going into Gaza that there were women, just like me, whose babies were sleeping in their beds, just like mine, who, didn't ha- who do not have the safe room in their homes and who do not have the, the infrastructure protecting them where they live. And my heart breaks for them, breaks for them. And I think it's just so important. And I don't know, I don't particularly believe, I, I do think it's important to gain agency and that we should look at the legislation and we should try to make changes where we can. But I really feel like change is going to come when we make new friends, real friends. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really like, you know, you impact the world one heart at a time. And, but here's the thing, a very wise uh, person who I I follow, Rich Litvin, he'll say one plus one equals 11. So yes, now me and you, we know each other and our hearts are alike, but who do we know that can impact some more hearts, right? Like when people listen to your podcast, how many more hearts are we going to impact? And then where do they live and what's going to change? You know, how will they change the laws in their town, community, state, country? You know, so even though in our conversation, you're impacting my heart and I'm in, impacting your heart, the people who listen to this, it's a ripple effect. How incredible and how beautiful was that? I feel like I miss speaking with Cordelia already. It's been about a month since our conversation and she's just a joy and such a pleasure. And it's people like Cordelia who give me so much faith in our future. I really believe that when we make new connections and when we cross boundaries and we step out of our comfort zones, There is so much magic waiting for us on the other side. And we all dream of peace. We all dream of creating a more sustainable world where everyone can live a rich life and a life of satisfaction and a life of purpose. And I know it's possible. I know it's possible because of people like you and people like Cordelia who keep coming back to the table time and again and reflecting and refining and taking more action so wherever you are in the world i bless you with 
courage to know that your visions and your dreams and this goal that we have together of collective peace is in our power and it is within the powers that be the infinite oneness that we are all a part of every single one of us have been created in that image and it's up to us so i i hope you're feeling well i hope you're taking care of yourself meeting yourself with kindness and compassion wherever you are and thank you for being here thank you for being in my circle thank you for being here and stay in touch i have some new wonderful programs happening the meditation circles are not happening in july but they will be back on they're going to be new and improved in the coming weeks so stay tuned and make sure you're connected with me you can hop over to circle of insight on facebook and join the community you can send a join request there or make sure that you're on my email list which is so easy to to do you can hop over to my website which is drozzy.co and make sure that you're all signed up for that keep me updated send me your questions send me your issues and i will be answering them both in the facebook group and my in my weekly emails and here on the show every blessing to you today and always until next time